Pharisees in front of Pilate on trial for his death and on the cross. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say I'm a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. I hope you are of the Son, that you listen to the King today if He's speaking to your heart. Let's sing joy to the world. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let Welcome, everybody. Merry Christmas. Yeah, man, so fun to get together and celebrate the coming of the greatest gift ever given anywhere, anytime, any place to anyone. And that, of course, is the gift of Jesus, God's son who came into the world to change everything. You know, uh, this gift is so powerful that it literally changed the world and continues to change the lives of so many. And at this Christmas season, we want to focus in on this gift. And we want to start off to understand the gift. You need to understand the giver. 
Uh, there's some amazing gift givers out there. Maybe you know somebody like that. Uh, our oldest daughter, Jessica, is an amazing gift giver. Uh, she has this gift of individualization, it's called. And so she can understand uh, by watching somebody and paying attention to them what they would really enjoy receiving as a gift. And uh, she gives amazing gifts. You always want to be on the receiving end of one of her gifts. Um, the Bible tells us that the gift giver in, uh, in this regard, giving Jesus to us, is God the Father. And we're taught to uh, see him as our Father. I know that not all of us have a relationship with our earthly fathers. Not all of us know who our Father is or got to spend time with him growing up. And yet, we still know the importance of a father. We need fathers in our life. Um, what kind of father is God? How does he act towards us? Who is he? And so the scriptures really teach us that he is a good father. He's a loving father. He cares for us more than anyone. Most of you know that Mary and I have three children. Our oldest, as I just said, is Jessica. Uh, she's married to Jake. They live in North Carolina. Uh, Jake, our son-in-law, coaches men's basketball team for a Christian college. Um, and they also have our grandson, Jethro, which is, um, you know, kids are great, but grandkids, man, right? Hey, um, and, then we have, and then we have a son, Aaron, and uh, he and his wife, Alyssa, live in Morrill, and they have two little girls, the most beautiful little girls on the earth. We love them. We're proud of them. And then our uh, daughter, Annie, or Andriana, she's our youngest, and she's engaged to Jamie Mize, who grew up here uh, in this community. We're very thankful for him, love his family, and they're planning on getting married here in April, if the Lord wills it. Uh, we're proud of our kids. We love them. They're all following Jesus. We're very thankful for that. And, uh, you know, but one of the things I recognize is when our kids were little and, and uh, just starting into this father thing, that, that being a father was, was, became so important to me. It did, just uh, something I cared so much about and I wanted to do a, a really good job at it, really passionate about it, and yet felt very underpowered a lot of times to do it well. And uh, one of the things I did, though, with my kids when they were young, is I tried to convince them of this. I said, dad knows everything. If you're, not, if you're not around me, I still know what you're doing. I know who you're with. I can see what you're thinking, right? So I really tried to convince them I knew everything. Now, sadly, that didn't last very long. As they grew up, they figured out that I didn't. But, um, uh, but I tried. As kind of like uh, the little boy who went out fishing with his dad and, uh, and they were fishing, having a great time. The fish weren't biting though. And so the little boy started looking around and, and uh, wondering about the world that he was in. He was about that age where he started having lots of questions. And so uh, he was sitting there and they're fishing and all of a sudden he said, dad, dad, um, how does this boat float on the water? And his dad thought for a minute, scratched his chin. Don't rightly know, son. Well, uh, it was quiet for a little bit. Fish still weren't biting. So the little boy, uh, all of a sudden, he had another question. He said, Dad, we're trying to catch these fish. They're under the water. How do fish breathe under the water? And Dad thought for a minute and said, I don't rightly know, son. Well, a little bit more time went by. And finally, the, the boy said, Dad, how come the sky is blue? It's a beautiful day out today, and the sun's out, and the sky's so blue. Why is it blue? And Dad thought for a minute. Finally, he said, I don't rightly know, son. Well, all of a sudden, the little boy felt kind of bad. He said, Dad, do you mind me asking you all these questions? Dad said, of course not, son. If you don't ask any questions, you'll never learn anything. <laughs> Sorry. Got to give you a joke on Christmas Eve. <laughs> hey, uh, the truth is that as earthly fathers, we don't know everything. Um, we don't. And, and we try and we know that we fall short. But I want to tell you that your heavenly father, the one who really made you, the one that knows you, he designed you. He does know everything. He knows everything about you. The Bible tells us that he knit you together while you were in your mother's womb, that he was a part of who you would be. He, he envisioned you before he even created the, the world, before the universe came to be. He thought of you. And, and so when he does uh, desire for you things or when he does give you instruction, it's only from a desire to see you become who he made you to be. 
uh, to, to have goodness in your life and, and to have the things that you need. As a father, one of my main goals was to um, protect and direct my children's hearts. I knew that their heart, uh, from the heart, is the wellspring of life. And so if their hearts got off track, I would fight for their heart. And I really paid attention to that. Um, I'll never forget when my oldest daughter, Jessica, came to me, about 13 years old. And, and uh, <clears throat> I'd kind of thought about this moment. I wasn't quite ready for it. But she came to me and said, Dad, there's a boy at church. Uh, he said he wants me to be his girlfriend. Um, I was not quite ready for that moment quite yet. And, and so I said, whoa, hold on here a second, uh, sweetie. He wants you what? He wants you to be his girlfriend? I said, listen, uh, you know, when you came into the world, I was there. Uh, I cut that cord, you know, that connected you to your mama. I, I, I've sweat and, and, and bled for you. I've provided for you. You are my daughter. I'm not quite ready to turn you over to somebody else to be their girlfriend. Well, needless to say, she was... Frustrated with me, Dad, calm down. You know, you're taking this too seriously. It's not that big a deal. But of course, I was worried about her heart, and I, I didn't want her to get hurt, and, and I knew she wasn't ready for this, or I didn't think she wasn't. So uh, we spent a long time talking, and it was a little intense, but I finally felt like I had her convinced that she didn't need to be anybody's boyfriend. And so uh, we, we left with the agreement that she would go tell him, I can't be your boyfriend. And I was really hoping she'd follow through with that. But the next day she came back, she said, Dad, you never believe what happened. Before I even got to tell him no, he'd already moved on to another girl. <laughs> I said, yes, see, that's why I told you that. Listen, we care about our, our kids' hearts. I want you to know that the Bible tells us that God, our Heavenly Father, really cares about our hearts too. He cares when we get pulled away in other directions, when things that might even hurt us or at least won't deliver on what we need when those things get a hold of our hearts. He cares. Um, his character is amazing. Uh, he cares about us in such a way that, that, um, that everything that comes from him is only for our good. You know, the Bible says about God that um, his character is such that uh, though he isn't, uh, he's not needy, he cares about, um, uh, he cares and desires for us to love him. Uh, though he's not jealous, he still wants our hearts. Um, this is the nature of the God who cares about us. The gift giver that is so important for us to understand if we're going to understand the nature of the gift. Um, God's heart's for you. I know a lot of us have hurts related to life that we attribute to God. Sometimes we think that he's responsible for the pain we feel. And we close ourselves off and, and we close ourselves off to him. And if I could just speak into your heart for a moment to say this, that the hurt that you've experienced, the pain that you feel, he's not the, the cause of it. He's not the source of it. In fact, the Bible tells us that God came into the world to heal what has been broken, to restore the relationship that has been damaged between you and him. See, you are created as a child of God. You're made in his image, and you're made to be a part of his family. The reality is, though, because of our sin, we get separated from God. The relationship is broken. And though you are a child of God, you're not living in his house, and you're not eating at his table, even though that's what he desires for you. You're living a life separated from him when you were meant to be connected to him. This relationship is perhaps the greatest, most important relationship in your life. And this is why Christmas is so important. Christmas reminds us that God came into the world to restore what was broken. He came because he loves us so much. Most all of you know John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It starts out with God so loving the world. Would you stand and sing with us? It's not exactly a Christmas song, but it absolutely de describes why Jesus came to earth.
Good afternoon, um, everyone. I'm excited to celebrate Christ's birth with you all. I want to pray for us um, as we get into the Word, as we get into who the gift is, which is Jesus Christ. So, Father God, I thank you for this Christmas season. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would open up our hearts and our minds to the gospel and to who Jesus Christ is in a deeper way, Lord, than we ever have um, before. And we ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so one of my favorite stories is in the Gospels where Jesus feeds five, over 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. And when he gets done doing this miracle, the disciples are amazed and the crowds are amazed. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, who do the crowds say that I am? And the disciples say, well, some say that they think John the Baptist is risen from the dead. Some say that um, you're Elijah um, who's come back or some say you're the prophet. But then Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, but who do you say that I am? I think this is the most important question and we'll ever answer on this side of eternity is who do we say that Jesus Christ is? And Jesus asked us the same question, who do you say that he is? If you've been following with us in John chapter 1, we've been seeing that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the word of God. And from the very beginning, um, before anything was created, that God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit have existed together in the Trinity there came a point in time where God became a man. He entered into his creation as a little baby. And that's what we're celebrating here um, at Christmas time. But Isaiah chapter 40, verse 21, this scripture gives us really a beautiful picture to show us who is this God who became a man. And in verse 21 of Isaiah 40, he says, Have you not known and have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing and he makes the judges of the earth useless. Scarcely shall they be planted, scarcely shall they be sown, scarcely shall their stock take root in the earth, when he will also blow on them and they will wither and the whirlwind will take them away 
like stubble. See, we see in this scripture that number one, Jesus, God, was the creator. The one who created the world became a man, came in the flesh. And when you look at comparing ourselves to God, I want you to think about this for a minute. If you compared yourself to a grasshopper, that's a better comparison than comparing us to God. That God's wisdom, his knowledge, his ability to love, his ability to forgive, his ability to create, to sustain life is far, far greater than us, and it can't really even be compared. And above that, that Jesus, his power is unlimited, that no, no one, no thing, no person, no disease can strike fear into the heart of God. When you look at the Roman Empire or the different kings and dictators who have risen up over time, they've been able to strike fear into the hearts of men, but there's nothing that can strike fear into God, that whether it's the princes or the judges of the earth, he brings them all to nothing. In verse 25, he continues and says, To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal? Says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who is, has created these things, who brings out their hosts by number. He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God? Have you not known and have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases their strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. See, not only is Jesus the one who upholds existence, the world, by his word and by his power, he also cares about each and every one of us, that he knows the hairs that's on our head, and we think our, our claim has been passed over by God, but it hasn't. That when we cry out to God, he is quick to help those who what? Who wait on him. Those who will humble themselves and cry out to God, he is quick to be our savior. He is mindful of us, but he is also all-powerful. He's never going to run out of ammo. He's never going to run out of gas. That God is always willing and able to be there for us. And we look at the attributes of who this God is, it seems kind of funny that God became a man and a baby. He didn't come to be glorified as a man or come as a king or to conquer nations, but ultimately Jesus Christ came to serve us. And he did this ultimately out of humility and because he loves us. But man's response has been what it always has been to God as we rebelled against him and ultimately Jesus Christ was crucified. Even though Jesus spread the gospel to the poor and healed the sick and showed that he had authority over water and wind, that people still ultimately rebelled against him, that the Romans and the Jews came together to crucify him. But even his best friends betrayed him. And the time where the God of the universe that we just read about hung on a cross, not one of his friends was there except his mom, Few women and one disciple um, was there to see the king of the world crucified. We have to remember that Jesus Christ was a man. Jesus felt the pain of emotional abandonment. He felt the pain of anxiety of going to the cross. He felt the pain of temptation of not wanting to do it. But yet in all this, Jesus remained sinless because you were worth it. That buying you by his own blood was worth it to him. In Isaiah 53, we see a very beautiful picture of a prophecy of the Messiah and his death on the cross. In Isaiah 53, verse 3, it says, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As we hid, as it were, our faces from him, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for my transgressions, for our transgressions. He was bruised for your iniquities, for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned aside every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was caught off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people, he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. See, not only was Jesus crucified and suffered physically immensely, 
but he offered his very soul, that Jesus was crushed eternally, paying an eternal payment for each and every one of our sins that we owed before God. And why did he do this? He ultimately did this because he loved us. And the question for you and I is who do we say that Jesus Christ is? There's coming a time where God has demonstrated his power and he's demonstrated his love on the cross and in the power of his resurrection. And each one of us will stand before this resurrected Christ, not the Jesus of our imagination, not the Jesus of our culture, but each one of us will stand before the Jesus of the Bible and we will answer who do we say that Jesus Christ is. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus gives us a picture of many people coming to him at the end of time, um, at the day of judgment. And they were all crying out, Lord, Lord, look at all these things that we've done in your name. But Jesus looks at them and says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. See, Jesus came to reconcile us to him, but it's not by our works. It's not by our power. It's not things that we can do. But it's only by his grace, by admitting our weakness and waiting on the Lord that he can save us. See, Jesus did not come just to give us eternal life. That's a great thing. But he also came to give us a transformed life. That Jesus did not come to bring um, bad people and make them good people. But Jesus came to make dead people live. That he came to resurrect sinners that we could actually be made righteous in the image of God. And I believe this Christmas season, there should be urgency in our life. Have we responded to this gift? Pastor John will lead us in a response later, but to really reflect, has this gift transformed not just my mind, but have I actually responded to this gift in my heart? You know, for me, I always get nervous um, for uh, services like this, and it's not because a lot of people show up or I'm concerned whether or not people will like what I have to say or not like what I have to say. But I know that we live in the most comfortable country in the entire world. And Jesus said it's more likely for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And my concern as standing before God and giving a message to his people is I know every year there's a, there's a lot of people, millions of people across our country who come to a nice Christmas service. It's a comfortable Christmas service. They go home, they eat a comfortable Christmas meal with their family. But yet they've never really responded to the gift and this can lead them to a comfortable road to hell. And that's exactly what Satan wants to do. He wants us to put us to sleep, take away the urgency, and not make us answer this question, who do we say Jesus Christ is this holiday season? And maybe you've made that response personally. What about your family? What about your friends? What about those who are around you this holiday season? Are we allowing the gift of Jesus Christ to transform not just our mind, not just to where we attend church, but truly transform our heart? Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God
Well, we've looked at the gift giver, and then we examine the gift. We're reminded of 
the amazing uh, opportunity we have uh, uh, at Christmas time and really all the time to connect with God in a way um, that we shouldn't be able to. But in order to really get the full picture um, of this opportunity, we need to look at the gift receiver, and that really is ourselves. You know, you could be offered the most amazing gift in the world, you or I, but if we didn't understand what it was, we didn't recognize it or even see it, we could miss it completely. Um, I carry a pocket knife with me, a little buck pocket knife. Um, If I were to give this to one of you, you might appreciate it, but you might end up putting it on your dresser somewhere and forgetting about it. It doesn't look like much, but to me, it's a, it holds great importance and great significance because this is the knife that my dad used to carry, and I lost my dad in 2020, November 5th, and, and it reminds me when I keep it with me, not that he's with me, I know he's with Jesus, um, but it reminds me of the legacy that I'm living out and the importance of staying connected to who he was and continue to live, right, uh, out of that and, and the way he raised me and who he uh, taught me to be. You know, um, when we're offered a gift, again, we've got to recognize the significance of it. Um, Jesus interacted with people all the time, and and John's gospel tells us that Jesus came full of gracious truth, that he was gracious in that he was kind and loving, forgiving, generous. (laughs) He offered himself to nearly everyone. He would connect with anybody. But Jesus also came with two loaded barrels of truth, (laughs) And when he met with people and interacted with them, he was gracious and kind and he was willing to connect, but he always spoke the truth. One such interaction is uh, known to most of us in John's gospel, the fourth chapter. We um, read of an interaction with a woman. We know her only as the woman at the well or the Samaritan woman. We don't know her name, but she has been talked about uh, for thousands of years. Because Jesus had an interaction with her that was of greatest importance, so profound. See, Jesus was traveling through the nation of Israel with his disciples, and they traveled through Samaria. The Bible says they came to the village of Sychar, just a small village, insignificant on the map. There was a well there that Jacob had dug, their ancestors. And so Jesus and his disciples being tired, they stopped at the well. It was about noon, and he sent his disciples into town to get some food. And while he was waiting, there was a woman that came out to get water. Jesus asked her a simple question, starting a conversation. Could you please give me a drink? Well, what was interesting about this interaction was that um, uh, this woman was going to put the full graciousness and truthfulness of God on full display. Because uh, she reacted in kind of a startled manner. Uh, She was like, whoa, how come you're asking me for water? Uh, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. There's a couple of issues at play here. One was being a woman uh, was strange for a man to interact in public. Um, Men were seen as higher in the social order, right? The other thing is that she was a Samaritan and Jesus was a Jew. And Jews did not interact with Samaritans. They actually called them dogs. They uh, disdained them. Though they were part of the Jewish nation, they represented the sin of the nation of Israel in intermarrying with the pagan people around them. And so the Jews wanted nothing to do with them. This woman recognized something different was going on. But like we do in social interactions with somebody we don't know, uh, she was a little, maybe a little chippy. (laughs) So she says, yeah, why would you ask me for a drink? I'm not the person to give it to you. And then Jesus says some amazing words in response. He says, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Well, um, she's not yet quite certain what's going on, but she recognizes the interaction has shifted a little. And so she says to him, but sir, uh, you don't have any way to get water. In fact, you asked me. Don't you remember? And now you're offering me water. This is strange. Um, you know, uh, I don't understand what you're talking about, but, but do you think you're better than Jacob, our ancestor? You know, he gave us this water. He dug this well for us. And uh, Jesus replies to her, again, pressing in graciously, but with the truth. He says, anyone that drinks this water from this well, right, is going to be thirsty again. But if you drink the water I give you, um, you'll never thirst again. In fact, that water will become a spring inside of you. 
and it will well up to eternal life. Um, she's still not sure what's going on, right? She still has that, that um, kind of that edge in reaction. And so she says, well, give me some of that water. I'm tired of coming out here and getting water for my family and having to carry it back to the house. It'd be great never to have to drink water again. Oh, please give me some of that water. Jesus now goes to another level. Uh, he's been pretty friendly, pretty surface level. He's been hinting at some things, trying to draw her in, having a conversation. But he, he now moves to a different level and he says, hey, why don't you go get your husband? Well, she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, yeah, the truth is you've had five husbands and the man you're living with now is not your husband. You said the truth when you said you, know, you don't have a husband, right? Well, she understands things are altogether different now. He has her attention. It's interesting. She could have got upset or offended. She could have ran away at this confrontation of the full truth regarding her life. Uh, she could have felt ashamed. She could have felt judged. But somehow, because of the interaction with Jesus, when the truth comes from him in a confrontational way that exposes her life, she just opens up. She says, why, you must be a prophet. <laughs> hey, I've got a question for you. She says, where are we supposed to worship God? Samaritans say we're supposed to worship on this mountain. Uh, our, our ancestors say that, but the Jews say we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. Where are we supposed to worship God? I kind of hear in that question, how am I supposed to connect to God? Can I connect to God? I've been searching and looking and trying my whole life. I've been running through relationships. Nothing seems to work. I'm really desirous of a connection to God, but I don't know how to do it. And Jesus replies to her very gently, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little, he says, about the one that you worship. You know very little about that, but we Jews know all about uh, him for salvation comes through the Jews. But then he says these most important words. The time is coming. Indeed, it has already come when the worshipers, true worshipers, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship in spirit and in truth. For God is spirit, he goes on to say. God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman uh, is blown away by this declaration. She says, well, we know the Messiah is going to come. The one who, uh, who has the information we need, he will teach us and explain to us all these things. And Jesus looks her in the eyes and says, I am the Messiah. Well, right at that moment, the disciples get back with lunch and they can't believe Jesus is talking to a woman. Uh, you know, no one else is around. They're a little concerned. Jesus, Jesus, you know. And, uh, and so the woman takes off. She's heard all she needs to hear. She heads back for the village. She gets to town and she says, hey, you guys need to come out and see uh, this guy I met. He's, he's told me everything I've ever done. He, he has opened up my life in a powerful way, and he spoke the truth to me. You need to come out and see this guy. And so they head out on her testimony, and they go out to see Jesus. And when they get there, uh, they beg him, would you please stick around a little bit longer? Stay around and teach us. And so Jesus spends a couple of days with them, and he teaches them the truth of the kingdom of heaven. He tells them how they can get connected to God. The Bible says that after a couple of days with them, they no longer believed on the testimony of the woman. They said, we believe because we've heard him with our own ears. We can see that he is indeed the savior of the world. What does it take to receive this gift that Jesus came to offer? John 17 verse 3 says, and this is the way to have eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. The only way to know God, the only way to, to access this gift, to be a receiver of it, is to come humbly to God, to acknowledge our sin, where we've fallen short, we failed to measure up. Just like this woman, her life was laid bare, and, and it was, it was uh, in actually an encouragement to her that, that 
this individual she was interacting with knew everything about her. He knew who she really was. Sometimes we carry around uh, and we try to hide who we really are. We try to protect an image that we're trying to hold up. And yet when we come to God, he reveals and he knows and he opens up our lives. And there's, there's a relief that comes in that. There's a healing that comes through it. So we need to come to him humbly and we need to have a, an awareness of our sin and a, a desire for his forgiveness, a desire that our lives get made right before him. I wonder if this Christmas season, you would stop and consider the gift that's being offered to you. I know that for many that walk this earth, many who even attend church at times or come at seasons like this, they've been saying no to God and, and holding him back out of their lives for a long time, scared of what it might mean to really let him in. I wonder if this Christmas you'd open up your life to him and receive the gift that he wants to offer you. Like I said, I know a lot of us struggle with hurts, disappointments, hypocrisy in the lives of others. We've seen uh, Christianity we don't want any part of because of some of the people who've lived it out before us. I just want you to know that you're not putting your faith in people to accept this gift. You're putting your faith in God. You're letting him in. I wonder if this Christmas, instead of saying no, instead of holding him at bay, you would open up your life and say yes. Let him come in. Let him begin to do a healing work in you. Transform the pain into joy. Fix what's broken restore you it's available this gift it's free but we do have to stop we got to say yes there was a card uh, on the chair when you came in if you're in a place where you need to say yes to God today and you're ready to do that would you just fill out that card and maybe um, say what you're saying yes to there's a place in there to check if for the first time you need to ask Jesus into your life I just want to implore you, I want to um, plead with you not to go on through this life without a connection to your Heavenly Father. He loves you, He'll come in, and He'll change everything. God, would you make us aware of our need? Most of us are. Father, sometimes there's hurdles and issues that are keeping us from saying yes. I pray today would be a day that someone in this room would say yes to you when they've been saying no. Would you break through our opposition, our hurts, our hangups? God, would you break through and invade our lives? We need you so badly. We need you to heal us and restore us. I pray for someone here needs to open up their life and let you in. God, thank you for constantly offering this gift. I pray, I pray for someone here who needs to receive it today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
All right. Well, get your uh, candles out. It's always a favorite part. You get to sing Silent Night and light our candles. There's some instructions. You need to be careful with these candles. I don't want anybody to get hurt. So um, the person who has the lit candle will demonstrate for you. So the person with the lit candle, the other person needs to come in and light their candle from the side, see? If you have the lit candle, you don't want to tip it or, you know, the wax will fall, right? Um, yeah, we don't want anybody to get burned. But it's hard to beat real candles. That's all I know. They're the best. So we're going to share uh, a, the candlelight with, with um, each row, and we'll slowly light the candles as our song sings. Um, let me just pray for us. God, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for coming to earth on a silent night 2,000 years ago to a little town, in, obscure little town in Israel called Bethlehem to a single mom, unwed mother who became pregnant by the Holy Spirit and who had to leave home and travel to a foreign town with no place to stay, but at the right moment, the baby was born, Jesus, the Savior of the world. Thank you for coming to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Cry. 
got to blow them out on the count of three, right? One, two, three. Hey, thank you again for being here. By the way, we love babies crying. We love, we love all that. We do. Um, uh, it's music to our ears. Hey, thanks for being here. Uh, we love you. We appreciate you so much. I want to invite you uh, the first, uh, next Sunday, the first of the year, we'll start a new series in the book of James and uh, how uh, to have faith that's alive. And so I want to encourage you in that. But let's end our service with one more song. Thanks again for being here. Merry Christmas. Hey, we can't end on something that calm, can we? Let's leave here going and sharing this message. Hey, join me. Let's put our hands together. Maybe get a little walk step going. Mm. You can move a little bit. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? friends and neighbors. Our Savior is Jesus Christ. We'd love to see you tomorrow morning. We have an 11 o'clock, just one service tomorrow, family service, kid friendly. Bring everyone in if you'd like. We'd love to see you, but blessings and Merry Christmas. Have a wonderful rest of your evening.